0: welcome to camera ready and able the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth i'm your host barbara Barna abel and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life and to make an impact on the world this episode is brought to you by the phrase laughter on call so i want to focus on the on call part right now because on call means to be able to be contacted in order to provide a service which is fabulous because that's what my guest for this episode does. Danny Klein is a comedian, actor, and author of the book Take My Spouse Please, as well as the founder and CEO of Laughter On Call, a company that runs interactive workshops and trainings rooted in mental wellness designed to foster connection through shared laughter. Laughter On Call combines compassion with comedy to boost morale, relieve stress, and improve communication. I love all of this so much. So uh, welcome, Danny. I'm thrilled that we're getting to have this conversation. I know, thank you, thank you. That was a fabulous intro, I love it. So there's so much I want to ask you and and we'll get all into background, but one of the things I kind of want to find out because of the work that you're doing and the impact is what is universally funny?
1: Oh, uh, universally funny is the tragic flaw of being a human. Like whatever like your human imperfection is, like people really relate to that. Your willingness to be truthful about your flaw gives people permission to be truthful about theirs. And it's so disarming in a world where you're not really supposed to ever, you know, you're supposed to be fine and have a Facebook scroll that looks beautiful and everything's beautiful. If you have the courage to say something that is vulnerable
0: about yourself, that usually gets a laugh. Mm. So I'm also thinking about film and even going back to silent films and the way goofiness, a lot of physicality is funny. Well, um, right.
1: But it's tripping, right? Like literally, physically, somebody tripping, like slipping on a banana peel. That's like the oldest gag, right? Right. And it, and it makes you laugh because you're, you know, you're kind of glad it's not you. And like, but but like it's being the element of surprise. Right, that's a big comedy tool, so it's like he's not expecting it, and then he falls, and then, so yeah, yeah, physical comedy for just sure. as we're
0: talking, I'm also thinking because as a media coach, I, you know, I work a lot around like body language and facial expressions, and facial animation is such a tool to be funny. Where in nonverbal communication, just you know, really great, you know, i eyebrows, for instance, which makes me think of Brett Goldstein in Head Lasso. I mean, his eyebrows are comedy gold, right? Yeah. And yeah, and, you, and and also you think about like even I guess it's kind of useful, you know, making dumb faces and family photos, doing the rabbit ears, like there's right you know, I mean, universal silliness. Well, and it's interesting what you're talking about the being
1: of the person. So I taught stand up at UCLA for ten years in the like uh, adult division, and the first exercise we do that I would do with people, and I probably will do this next week at Harvard. Like I like people to come on without talking at all and then the audience uh, yells out adjectives about what they get from the person before they even open their mouth and you know i always say yep yeah, yep yeah, it can't be anything mean but if i think it's really important as a person and a persona you know for stand up it was about your persona what do you walk in the room with but for anything what do you walk in the room with like what's the vibe and energy that you're giving off before you even speak and so that's like really helpful information. So we always start with that.
0: That's enormously helpful information. We're going to circle back to the Harvard. So just a tease to everyone listening is that Danny's company, Laughter on Call, is in the is a Harvard case study now, which I just hashtag goals. I just want to hear all about that. But we're going to come back to that. Um, so I, I want to start with because your background, since you are a comedian and an actor, and I forgot to mention in your bio that yes, also I officially, guess it makes you a professor of comedy. Oh. God. Um, Oh, I love that though. So Um, when did you find that you were funny and that comedy was important in your life?
1: I I don't know if my family thought I was funny, but when we were, uh, we moved from New York city to Connecticut in the late seventies and, uh, my mother was very depressed. People were very depressed. It was very dark in the house. And I had these clay puppets that I made And so uh, finger puppets, little finger things. And I used to do little, like to break the silence at the table, I would do like, "Mm, I'm really not feeling good. I know, I wish dad would, you know, like little. And I was like (laughs) 12, 11. (laughs) And, uh, And so I think that that's always been my response to tension is to try to get people to laugh. Like it is, and there are those of us who are just, That's how we process life. We just would feel better. People would laugh and we'll actually do anything to make that happen. And so I think that was the, I mean, that's the earliest kind of uh, sign that this is probably something that I want to communicate with myself. But then I was a waitress for many years after college and people would say to me, I don't understand why you're waiting tables. Like you should be a comedian. I don't know what you're doing. Like why are you waiting tables? And so that was, and then I took this class at UCLA, the class I just mentioned, I took And the teacher said to me after the first class, you know, you're a comedian, whether you do this for your life or not, because it's a really hard life, but you should just know that that's your, that's your lens and that's your gift. And, and then I went back to teach that class 10 years later. And of course I knew what she meant immediately. You just meet those of us that are a little bit, seeing the world a little bit off and have the courage to say things that other people maybe wouldn't say. Like it's a whole thing.
0: Wait, I don't want to put you on the spot, but so now we're tapping into like, a checklist for comedians you must no. have not, not in a bad way but i'm like what else do you need to have
1: well you, you need definitely to be a little need bit off courage. you to have to be to say
0: stuff courage okay
1: courage and a unique point of view and more courage because not only do you need the courage to stand before an audience but you need the courage to assert your point of view and the courage to keep going um and i will say in this last four years since i've been doing the entrepreneur trip. Turns out everything takes courage.
0: Newsflash. (laughs) I was just about to say the same thing as you were describing. So one of my questions, because I was, again, data and metrics, so impressed that 20,000 people have been through the Laughter on Call program, however you describe it, since 2018. That's amazing. So bravo. And like, again, making the world a, a better place. Have themes emerged that you've started to see about human behavior and and human response to these things out of you know twenty the data from twenty thousand people like pinpointing to like this will always get a laugh or actually just to see these moments of when transition happens or openness happens.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So just to be clear, like we do interactive, so it's so we do interactive workshops. That's why mm-hmm. the numbers are so big because we do in, international, right? Like we'll have a team from India on the call with. A team from Italy and Israel and then someone from Wisconsin, because apparently every company has someone in Wisconsin, but it's, it's fully engaging. And that's why. So it's not culturally specific. The comedy's created in the room so that anybody can play. And it's also no edge like we're totally laughing with not laughing at. And so it's funny you should ask that because we do, you know, we do this yes and game. So are you do you know the yes and world? Yes, but
0: share it for anyone listening who may not.
1: Okay, so yes and is an improv tool. It's not a stand up tool. It's an improv tool. And it literally is saying yes and as opposed to yeah, maybe or yeah, but which when you're trying to innovate and create those, the yeah, buts and the yeah, maybes really shut that conversation down. They're kind of soft no's essentially. And so we teach people to say yes and, and I'm not, a, this is not my own genius, right? This is like hundred years of improv. And so when, we, what we will do in one of our big events is we'll want, we want people to say yes and literally get it in their mouths. So we'll create a spa, like the ultimate spa for your company. Yes and one uh, person at a time. And what's so funny is every country will say, and the room of puppies, like everybody's, <laughs> I don't know why it never fails. Everyone wants a room of puppies in their spa. And then it always gets a big laugh. So that's that's just one, that's not exactly a societal trend but that is something that I've observed. I think what most consistently gets laughs is authenticity is somebody, again, having the courage to just say what they're thinking in the moment and uh, it's unexpected and that's what makes everybody laugh. And it's also, interestingly, what opens the door for other people contributing authentically. So when you ask like, what's the moment? That's usually the moment. When somebody's willing to be authentic at the top, it really opens it up for everybody. Like you set the tone of like, this is gonna be a safe space where you can, share some vulnerability.
0: I think that's a hallmark of leadership. Whether that person's in a position of leadership at that at, at that company, that's a to me, that's a leader.
1: Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And having that, you know, here's the thing, like I don't really promote self-deprecation that much, especially for women. I think, no, nah, we got we got that covered. I don't think Amen
0: really- sis, I I bring that up, uh, ooh, yeah. A lot of right. the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Right, but
1: you can use it as a tool if it's not the thing that you're being hired to do, right? So I can come on and say, yeah, my family, you know, we had dinner last night, I don't really cook. I basically defrost, I'm a defrost, <laughs> right? And so,
0: but- I assemble just in case you want to Oh, Oh,
1: that's, <laughs> that's also that's a very good tool. <laughs> But, like, I'm not going to get on and go, well, I'm not really that funny. I hope this workshop works out. Like, you can't, you know, you, you have to have a certain level of authority about what people are depending on you to deliver. But that doesn't mean that you are impenetrable. Like, you could make a, a joke about not getting out of the subway in time, about your timing, or, you know, there's always something human that you can contribute as a leader that gives people permission to feel like it's okay not to be perfect and that is so important if you're interested in innovation (laughs) because if people feel like they have to be perfect they're not going to bring their ideas forward and so you're going to shut that down
0: wow okay so it's just popping into my head what you're creating is a space for psychological safety
1: Yes, which is really funny, given that we're a comedy company, because the perception of comedy, of course, is like edgy and hip. And I will tell you, this is the debut of our logo. So I used to have a microphone in the logo, like a stand-up mic was running through the logo. And we just took it out. And it's because it was sending a wrong message. Like, we're not stand-ups. We're not going to roast your boss. Or, like, we are about what's called affiliative humor, which is bringing people together, creating connection. So you wouldn't anticipate that creating a psychologically safe space is what a group of comedy people would do. But that's a 100% our goal, always.
0: So now I think I want to introduce the idea of, like, how, the, the Genesis story for laughter on call, because it's very, very moving. And so how this begins with the story of your mom and her Alzheimer's.
1: Oh, thank you, yeah, yeah. Uh, so my uh, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's like maybe like eight years ago and she was living in New York City and I was living in Los Angeles and, um, and you mentioned my book. So I wrote this book called Take My Spouse Please, <laughs> which is about using the tools of comedy actually to have more laughter in your long-term relationship. And I was on the on a book tour, like a fifteen city book tour, and I got a call from one of my mother's friends saying, "Your mother is arguing with waiters, and she can't fill out a deposit slip." And uh, the waiter part was like, you know, whatever. That, she was a tough lady. She was a New Yorker. But the not filling out a deposit slip, that was like like that was one of the few joys of her life. <laughs> so I was like, that's not good." Um, And so we flew to New York. My sister lives in Boston. She came in. I came in. And what we found was, you know, a woman who needed help, like it was chaos. And anyway, to quicken that end of it, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. We hired a team of people. She fired a team of people very quickly. But we got people in place. And that lasted about maybe two years. At a certain point, though, she wasn't leaving the apartment. And I was like, come on, like, this is silly. So I brought her to L.A. And Uh, Very quickly, she became depressed. Like initially, it was a, it was a place with a big chandelier. So it would look like an Upper East Side building. But quickly, she figured out she wasn't leaving. And she became depressed. And I was very, I felt terrible about it. I was very worried. And I was at my dentist. And because it's LA, she's like, also like a life coach. And I was like, I was like, seriously, I love this woman. And so, but I was like crying and I was like, I just wish I could hire a comedian to cheer her up because I can't do it. She sees a daughter, but maybe a comedian could do it. And she was like, oh, well, you should do that. You should definitely do that. So I put up on Facebook looking for comedian interested in gerontology paid gig. And my phone rang five minutes later. It was my friend in New York who's a comedian. And she was like, oh my God, I have someone in LA who wants to work with seniors. She's sitting on park benches. You should call her. So I call this woman, she comes over and she does exactly like what we knew to be true and now know to be true and train, which is she got at eye level with my mother and she took her in fully and she was authentic and she told the truth. And she was like, I know you don't want to talk to me. No, you're probably thinking, who is this schmuck just talking to me? And my mother heard the word schmuck. And like, she started laughing and she was like, schmuck. And then the comedian talked to her and she was like, schmuck. And they did this like schmuck off. And then she handed her a glass of water. And my mother took the water. And I was like, oh, okay, so you're hired. And so I hired her eight hours a week and she made her own schedule. It was, you know, And it changed my mother's life. Like it just did. She, uh, she started laughing and joining with her community, even when the comedian wasn't there. And I was like, okay, so this has to be everywhere. Like it was just one of those moments where I was like, well, I didn't mean to do this, but like, how could I not do this? Like there's always comedians that need some support and there is an exponential population that's facing Alzheimer's. So that's how it launched. And then I, uh, I wrote an article about it for AARP magazine about the experience. And I got hundreds of responses from around the world. Please bring me a comedian. Can I have a comedian in Pittsburgh and London and Florida? And I was like, okay, I guess we're going to, I guess I'm in. And coincidentally, Time magazine had a dedicated issue called the science of laughter that came out. It was a whole magazine about like the, the science and the studies and the Benefit physical and emotional benefits of laughter. So I had that and I had my article and I happened to know a woman who had a foundation whose mother had Alzheimer's and she was like, I think you should come talk to me and my people because I want to support this.
0: And that's how it all started. And this was 2018. Yeah. Wow. So then Extraordinary luck in some ways, but I was gonna say timing because it's good and bad with the pandemic. But I mean, we're already in a world with chronic loneliness. I know that funny helped me tremendously through the pandemic. So could you just walk us through a little bit about how then the the growth and you're adapting to a virtual world.
1: Right, so I was actually, I had come up with a training for healthcare staffs and communities Mm -hmm. and everything was in person though. And then of course, March 13th, we're shut down. We can't get to anybody because the senior community was the most vulnerable. So basically I was told, you're gonna have to shut your doors. Like I had a CFO and he was like, well, I don't know what you think you're gonna do because you're done. And uh, it was a little very teary staff meeting. <laughs> and and then I was just like, well, wait a minute. We have a camera in the office because we were training comedians all over the world. We have a camera let's just live stream. Let's see what happens. Like we'll set up some interactive, comedy, comic relief for people, Monday through Friday, we'll call it lunchtime laughter open to the public for half an hour. So we started. And very quickly we thought it was going to be seniors and their caregivers and then very quickly it was just perfectly lucid people who were just depressed and lonely and scared and wanted comic relief and we needed comic relief like that's the other thing I always felt like the hair club you know that dude on the hair club for men Side I like in it. case yes, you needed size- to know yes yes <laughs> so I was the size for only laughter because I was like wait a minute I need this I'm not just like doing it I need it it was uh, wonderful and from there I was reading all these articles in uh Harvard Business Review and Forbes and The Atlantic and The Washington Post about the the challenges of the mental mental health challenges during this time and for HR specifically. Mm-hmm. So then I came up with programming and we pitched it and we had you know it just really took off and um, we've been developing all kinds of things since. But that's how it, that adaptation because it was about isolation. Right, what everybody—it just became a global problem as opposed to the function of cognitive decline. It became like, wait, we're all isolated, and we knew what to do. We knew that we could help. So
0: that's how that happened. Wait, if if I can point something out in your amazing creative problem solving is, uh, which is I think one of your superpowers, because it also taps into the kind of improv aspect of this, and maybe just how you you're a default setting because you had a yes and well, we have to shut down yes and, but what if? But what if, but what if is such a powerful question. So by the way, so now that you said that, you know, the relationship and what you saw with your mom is your first case study. So I don't know. And if you're, if you even have an answer to this, but the relationship between comedy and laughter and continuing to laugh and its impact on minimizing or slowing cognitive decline.
1: Okay. So it does not slow cognitive decline. I don't Uh think, I think it's hard.
0: (laughs) No, I think it's hard. It would be hard.
1: To uh, asking for a friend, now I'm just asking for myself. <laughs> no, but here's, but definitely engagement 100% helps that's right. and not that's being well depressed. documented. Yeah. Yes, that it's about engagement. And that's the other thing is that I couldn't call the company cognitive engagement on call. <laughs> like nobody's calling that company. But so it's so the laughter really is just the, the way in. And that's true for our corporate work now and our health care workers it's really it's just the way in to get people to connect and that I do I do believe helps the progression of a cognitive decline is keeping someone engaged um, in that way and feeling seen and heard and also for caregivers for self-care for the Mm. the laughter and the benefits of endorphins and dopamine that laughter brings caregivers is very very important but I don't like to say, I, you know, I don't want to say, "Oh, we heal, we heal things," because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's that makes me worried to say that.
0: Oh, why does it make you worried? Side so for liability.
1: Yeah, because I and I don't want to, I don't want to over, I don't want to be like a not to equate laughter with snake oil, but I don't want to be like salesy like that, and and I don't, I also think it is such a different particularly alzheimer's i'm talking about Mm -hmm. and i've been through the cancer thing too but the alzheimer's is so exhausting and so upsetting for loved loved ones of people who are facing it and so i don't want to oversell or you know I don't know. I don't, I don't want to pretend that I can cure anything. All we can do is create human connection and allow people to be present with what is. And that's a big part of it is, you know, I would visit, I would see people visiting their loved ones and they'd be like, mom, how are you? Are you good? You're good, mom. You look good. Everything's good. Isn't it nice here? It's great. It's like, no, like that's not helpful. That's not the truth. Like if you can be present with what is, you actually can still have a connection with someone as they're losing their mind. But you have to be in the moment and you have to be have the courage to see what's really there. And that is a comedy tool, seeing what's really there and having
0: the courage to reflect it back. Is that a little bit about tone? Because I love the, the example you already gave when you know the your first comedy caregiver gets down with your mom and says, who am, who am I? But it wasn't angry, it wasn't aggressive, it wasn't negative or down. It was seems like it was pretty pretty fact-based.
1: Well, right. So it's empathy. Mm. It's about empathy. So that was the truth. She was, She was identifying what my mother might have been experiencing. She was being empathic and that's another hallmark of what what we do is we bring compassion and empathy. And we don't try to pretend it's not tough. We we did events all through COVID, right? So, you know, where people were, you know, I'd I'd like to laugh today, but I lost my brother-in-law this morning. So then you have okay, to in those say, situations
0: we feel guilty about laughing.
1: Right or Or the notion,
0: right? Isn't there's that there's also that line. Wait, too early, right? Too soon,
1: too soon. But they, if they showed up in our case, if they if they had that experience and showed up, they wanted in some way to connect. And so, you ease them in, and make them feel seen and heard and welcome, and not like, oh, really, you're grieving? Well, you need to go over there. You need to leave this room. You know, kind of it's a lot about oh
0: Danny the per- permission to just be right oh that's a beautiful thing I want to switch gears well one I want to ask about the Harvard case study because I, I just want to know how that works and like it's just, you know, like, do they call you up and like, hire you're in, but also want to ask you just had a kind of a lightning round question that popped in my head was, you know, looking around the world, like who would be a, not, you know, dream, not because they're easy, but like, I can come up with a list off the top of my head of like people who need your services. Let's say U.S. Congress. Somebody just pitched me that.
1: Somebody just said to me, you need to reach out to Adam Schiff and all the L.A. people, and one of my friends is uh, on the council, uh, an LA councilman. I have talked to him. Um, I, I I wish that I could be that specific. I actually feel like everyone could That's benefit. True. That's the thing. Like there isn't an isolated group like, well, they really need it. Um, I think it's whether or not they're open to it. And people do ask me, and I, and I mean this um, with all due respect, but lawyers are the hardest to do what we do like to engage in what we do as as a group um that's what we have found is that lawyers are very challenging because they're paid to be the smartest one in the room that's their job and so if you're asking them to lower that it's it's oftentimes just too too big a risk and they don't really see the payoff and you know so
0: th- those have been some of our more challenging gigs So, I okay, I'm so obviously obsessed with your um, Harvard case study. So how does that work? Um, So that
1: came out of the article, and then we had a write-up in the Washington Post. And then during um, COVID, left on Call was featured in the New York Times as a business that made the pivot. And I, one of the professors at Harvard has a class, Allison Woodbrook, she has a class called Talk Gooder. And she also writes, she had also written about laughter in business and the value of having a sense of humor. And I probably, knowing me, reached out to her on LinkedIn and said, hey, I love your article. I just think you might like my company. And then she got in touch with me. And then we started having, we had a couple of Zoom calls and she's like, amazing one of these probably 35 three kids in a rock band and a harvard (laughs) professor like you know like you're just like okay you win um but also amazingly warm and charming like truly amazing person and she i guess took the laughter on call model to her team of people and pitched it and you know it's a pretty cool story and i think Particularly because at, at that point, we were very much in the senior space. And the thing is, everybody is talking about the senior. when right before COVID, before COVID, the senior population and what's coming for boomers is, is it's like we're standing at the this huge tidal wave that's coming. And like, how are we girding ourselves for it? so i think it was a really compelling case because it was taking what's going to be just an overwhelming problem and coming in on the on the you know from the side on it and also a challenge for students financially like okay yes and this is something that's needed and how do we make it profitable and now mm-hmm. going back so we had one meeting and now i'm going back in 2 weeks because the business has shifted and grown. And so, okay, let's talk about now that we have corporate support, what else is possible? Like now we're getting into benefits for employees. Like how can we? How can a company that wants to support the 62% of employees who define themselves as lonely, what can a company do for them? Well, you can give them three laughter on call sessions as part of their benefit plan. And then they can have that for their household. So if they're caring for someone with Alzheimer's or they have a kid that's depressed or they're depressed, they can set up a one-on-one with a laughter on call person and will bring comic relief and bring some levity to your household. And that's something that an employer, a progressive employer could get behind. So there's lots of other ways now to, to take what we do and have it make a difference.
0: Can individuals work with you? Yeah, we have we have lots of one on ones. Oh, that's fantastic! And that just through I'll I'll make sure that's in the episode notes, but that's through the laughter on call website. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We do it, and we didn't know that Zoom was going to work, but we had a a number of clients during the pandemic that worked one on one. It was it Mm -hmm. was really they created a a relationship.
0: The one other thing I want to ask is because now you became the accidental entrepreneur. Yes, and Mm -hmm. which. which many of us do, um, and so, and it's not easy, and you're, you know, there's, I'm obsessed with this book called The Messy Middle by Scott Belsky because the messy middle is the hardest part of any venture. Uh, so I highly recommend, side note, for anyone to read. So I just wanna ask, so how does your own, like the laughter on call, like, you know, in this, going back to the size Spurling, how is this helping you now in the, you know, stresses and stuff that comes up when you're an entrepreneur?
1: Well, I have a wonderful team And I tend toward the impatience and uh, one could say a bit negative interpretation of what's possible (laughs) and they do not. And so I'll say if we have a pitch and, and I don't hear from them in two days, I'm like, well, I mean, obviously that's dead. And they'll be like, no, no, Danny, no, calm down. It's okay. So I'm fortunate that I have a wonderful team so you're savvy um, to surround
0: yourself with people who support you in the mission. That's an important. You created a culture.
1: Yes. Very hard to do virtual <laughs> office. I, that's another thing. Like all my clients, I understand what they're going through. Like I have the same problem, but nobody wants to come to an office. Um, but I do think it's important to mention for anybody in this position that I had a very difficult CFO that I had to fire. And it took me like a year and a half to finally say, "I'm out. I can't do this." He was abusive. And I was so it was all so new to me, the 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 financial piece and spreadsheets and all that that I was just turned it over. And ultimately, that that was not good. That was not good. I mean, I learned what i I learned what I had to learn, but uh, you know, it's not acceptable. To be talked down to, and
0: yeah, no, no, it's not acceptable. Um, but it's remarkable what we put up with, especially when our you know list of priorities are you know seventeen long. You know, just as a final note, you brought up a great question. So, what have you learned just about yourself and and business through this process that you didn't know?
1: Well, the biggest thing is that I didn't know I was capable of any of this. Like this was just, I was a theater major. Okay, like this was not. Uh, I could have never envisioned. And the way that I've been able to do it, which is going to sound cliche, is like one day at a time. One, like, okay. And I'm lucky because I'm, I'm pretty smart as long as I don't have to look at a map or don't ask me about world history. But about like, okay, what's the next right action that has to happen? I will do it. So I learned that about myself, that I will do it. Even if I don't know it, I'll, I'll get the resources to figure it out. I'm not young and it's not true that you become invisible in your fifties and a lot of, I mean, it is maybe for other people, but it, you're only as invisible as you allow yourself to be. And I just didn't even think about it. I think if you said, you know, everything I read, is that a woman, I think I started this at 54, 55 maybe. And that's kind of unheard of. And I'm very, very lucky. I know that I'm very, very lucky that that, that first investor took a risk. Hmm. I don't rest on laurels. And I think it's important as you pointed out to surround yourself with people who have hope and drive and belief in what you're doing and can't settle for anything other than that when you're an entrepreneur you can't you can't have any negativity i'm sorry you can't it's too hard so you can't have anybody on your team that's like well you can't have any yes but or yes maybe people on your team you need yes and people on your team
0: Oh, that's beautifully said. I am so grateful for this conversation. Oh, thank me you, too. thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. And if you want to get from where you are to where you're meant to be, please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com. And be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.